This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries, and today we have a special guest. Her name is Lydia Fonseca. She is the Chief Digital and Technology Officer at a small company you might have heard of called Pfizer. Yes, Pfizer, one of the world's largest biopharmaceutical companies in the world. Responsible for enterprise-wide digital strategy, Lydia leads all digital data and technology products and solutions across the company, including digitizing drug discovery, clinical development, manufacturing, distribution, and commercial. Lydia, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Albert. Thank you for hosting me. Yeah, listen, we're excited to have you. It's, you know, when we were reading that, I was reading that little intro for you. Sounds like you have a small responsibility. It's pretty insane, all the things that you oversee. But give us an idea of how your role, how the role of digital, and what does it play in the innovation at Pfizer? And if you could, bring it to life with some examples. Because we, of course, as consumers, know Pfizer for some of its products. But we don't really know how these things come to life and your role in bringing these things to life. Sure. So um, I joined the company in 2019. Uh, Albert Borla, another Albert, you know, our CEO, invited me to join Pfizer in January of 2019 as the company's first ever chief digital and technology officer. My remit from Albert is to harness digital to innovate across every aspect of our business, mm. from how we discover and develop medicines to manufacturing, commercialization, and also how we engage with patients and customers. Upon joining, one of the first things I did was to rebalance our portfolio, to focus on the highest priority initiatives with the greatest impact. And we also introduced a new digital operating model that fosters more horizontal thinking innovation, and customer focus. We also deployed Agile across Pfizer to help us innovate faster and smarter. And just to give you a sense, today, over 90% of our most critical enterprise programs are leveraging Agile, and they're yielding tangible outcomes. These new ways of working laid the groundwork for innovation across the entire company. So, let me give you some examples indeed to bring it to life. Yeah. In research and discovery, we introduce screening capabilities that allow our scientists to synthesize and test a manageable fraction of millions of compounds that might work as a new drug to only those with the highest chance of becoming medicines. These enabled us to screen one of our key libraries, for example, containing 4.5 billion compounds something that we were not able to do before, but are able to do with digital capabilities, and we can do it in under 48 hours. So that's you know, the kind of uh, innovation that we bring to bear. In clinical development, digital brings the trial to the participant through remote trials, helping boost recruitment, retention, and diversity while elevating the participant experience. 54% of our site visits are now remote, compared to less than 10% at the end of 2018. So we've really decentralized those trials and also made them more virtual. We also made it easier for participants with wearables for remote tracking and telehealth to enable virtual visits. And AI and machine learning 
are enabling our teams to perform quality checks and analyze vast amounts of clinical trial data 50% faster than prior methods. And this is an AI-based capability. We launched that for our COVID trial. And today I'm happy to report that we're using that capability in 50% of all of our clinical trials, helping us to bring medicines to patients faster. On the manufacturing front, digital capabilities and standard platforms drive scale and tangible results. For example, uh, we have a patent-pending digital operations center capability that provides an end-to-end -end view of manufacturing and supply, which allows the team to predict issues and adjust in real time. This has yielded a 20% increase in throughput. And as you know, we're a pretty large company, so 20% yeah. is, is pretty significant. We also have a batch tracker solution that's in our manufacturing that proactively identifies any bottlenecks or areas of high risk that has led to an 85% improvement in on-time release of products. Over on the commercial front, we're transforming our go-to-market model with digital at the core to enhance customer engagement, creating a more personalized experience. Our new Pfizer Pro platform is a one-stop shop that allows healthcare providers to connect when and when they want. We are equally bringing benefit to patients. So for example, um, AMBA is a new app for metastatic breast cancer patients designed to optimize their treatment experiences and outcomes with tips, personalized education, medication reminders, and more. And we partnered with Walgreens to scale this product. And we're also collaborating with Fitbit to proactively identify patients who may have atrial fibrillation. Consumers are monitored for irregular heart rhythm and those who receive a signal are guided to contact their HCP for a consultation. We launched this capability in April, 2022, and we already have over 2 million people enrolled. For Pfizer colleagues, because we don't just focus on our external audiences, we are making our work faster and easier through automation and robotics. We set out to automate 75% of 100 million manual transactions across the company by the end of 2021. And I'm pleased to report that we surpassed this goal. We, we actually reached 90% automation of those manual processes. So as you can see, we are enhancing every aspect of our business. And in fact, I often like to say that rather than creating a digital strategy for our business, we're actually creating a business strategy for a digital world. And that's the foundation on which we're making digital innovation a competitive advantage at Pfizer. Okay. For our audience to know, I was trying to write down some of these stats as Lydia was dropping them. I mean, you just told, so you, you just gave so many examples of exceptional changes, uh, you know, like from 10 to 54% for your virtual uh, labs, the automation of from 75% was your target of manual trans, uh, transactions to it's now 90%, over 90% automation. So you've been, I mean, this is significant. This is all happening in the last three years? Because you said you the 2008, you, the stat you gave from the 1054 was 2018 to now. This has all been happening in the last three years? Yes. Is that right? That's right. Okay. This is crazy. Uh, absolutely crazy uh, implementation of processes because we've had, <laughs> we've definitely had some guests on that have, let's say, done less. Uh, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is pretty bananas. For yourself, why do you think you and your team were so uniquely positioned to do this? And of course, it played a big part this move fast and develop, innovate, implement, 
I mean, it certainly played a huge part in your ability to change during the pandemic. Uh, let's start there. Like, what do you think culturally that you you implemented? And then talk about how that was obviously clearly helpful when the pandemic went down, how you guys at Pfizer were able to quickly come up with impossible, you know, develop solutions. Let me start with a little bit of the history, history, you know, going back to 2019 yeah. in context. In 2019, uh, January 2019, Albert Borla became CEO of Pfizer. And um, I joined, right? So we began our transition to being a more science-driven and patient-focused company. At the same time, we also embarked on a digital transformation journey. We modernized our IT foundation, we upgrading our network, increasing our data storage capacity fourfold to 20 petabytes, for example, <laughs> and started a rapid transition to the cloud. So when I joined in 2019, we were at about 25% in the cloud. Today, we're at 80% in the cloud. Mm. That helps, right? And we introduced agile ways of working across the company to help us work faster and smarter. Thus, in early 2020, when COVID-19 struck, we were well positioned to respond quickly and drive innovation to bring the vaccine and later Paxlovid oral treatment to the world in record time. We codenamed our COVID efforts Lightspeed, and they're founded on the agile principles that we had introduced. These Lightspeed principles included maintaining a hyper-focus on the customer, whether that's the patient, their healthcare provider, health systems, regulators, or even our own colleagues. That's, it's also important not to remember the colleagues are an important audience as well. Driving horizontal thinking, aligning ourselves to what the patient is experiencing, focusing on a few critical common goals with minimal bureaucracy, fostering a strong emphasis on outcomes as opposed to activity, and very importantly, empowering our teams to work in parallel rather than sequentially to drive speed and to have the courage to think big, be creative, and work differently. This was particularly critical as we needed thousands of people to believe we could do the impossible. And I'm proud to say that we did. Lightspeed allowed us to focus and supercharge digital innovation to develop a safe and effective vaccine in record time without cutting any safety or regulatory corners. So let me share a couple of examples, um, and I'll specific to you know, COVID, right? Our COVID response. Um, in scientific discovery, we use supercomputing. Uh, you know, we run very complex calculations at a factor of five to 10x acceleration, which help fast-track Paxlovid. We deployed advanced analytics to optimize the search for the right molecules that could deliver Paxlovid in pill form versus intravenously. This was a huge win because it allowed us to produce Paxlovid, which could be taken by patients at home rather than having to administer in a hospital setting. For our clinical trials, we use real-time predictive models to project COVID prevalence at an individual county level identifying where the next big wave of infection would hit based on the dynamic movement of the virus. This helped our team optimize clinical trial site selection based on where we anticipated recruitment being strongest. Mm. We were also able to refresh the clinical trial data every four hours. This meant that we could get the latest data to our scientists with greater speed and frequency than before COVID when it would take a few weeks 
after each participant visit to aggregate the data. Moving from weeks to hours is a major paradigm shift, as you can imagine, Albert, and accelerated the vaccine you know, trial because we needed you know, to gather that data and be able to submit to the FDA. In manufacturing, our intelligence platform leveraged data and analytics to reduce the cycle time by 67% for a critical step of the Paxlovid process. So to put it in perspective, prior to COVID, Pfizer produced 220 million vaccine doses for our entire portfolio of vaccines. In 2021, we produced 3 billion doses of community. So think about the scale up from 220 million to 3 billion plus. Yes, 15X. And we also leveraged <laughs> digital to ensure that our sales reps could continue engaging with customers virtually on their iPad. In 2019, we had introduced the capability for our sales reps to be able to have a customer meeting via audio and video on their iPads. We ended 2019 with 900 sales reps using that capability, but quickly growing to over 18,000 mm. in the mid-2020 at the height of the pandemic. If I take us back, right, at that point, they couldn't go to the hospitals. They couldn't visit customers and physicians. And so the virtual engagement was the way that they could continue calling on customers. So Lightspeed, as I mentioned earlier, represents our new way of working. And we're applying this approach to other critical efforts. And I don't see us going back. Yeah. So the way when you were telling this story, I'm just imagining the time, right? The time at the time we have a virus, the entire world is impacted. You see the news. It's nothing but bad news. Everyone's work is impacted. Your team is racing towards answering a question. And as you suggested, you didn't even know if there's really an answer at the other side, but you knew you had to go try and find a solution. And so that had to have impacted you personally as well. What for yourself, you know, you, you've mentioned before 2018, the changes begin 2019, you're in place. You start hearing that there's something going on around the world and then project Lightspeed begins. That's an unbelievable, uh, let's say, start at a, at a new place, right? A digital transformation is already hard enough. We've had many SIs, many different systems integrators, many different CIOs, CTOs come and talk about what it takes to bring or modernize a company. It's a hard enough project as it is. Now you layer on a global pandemic. Now you layer on a mission to find an answer, a cure, where you don't know if you're going to have it. You, you don't even know if you're going to find it. You're just going to see if you can. And you're in the middle of this at the very beginning of your career, digital transformation plus pandemic. And you're seeing all these people push themselves personally, professionally to find this answer. How did that impact you uh, on a personal level? In addition to professional, because you, because you were overseeing this operate, you, know, you were part of the team, like just seeing how hard people were going. I don't know how that impacted you. We're a global company with a strong China presence. I'll never forget in late January of 2020, when our, you know, when our Chinese colleagues um, were told by the government to stay home. Mm. Since this was unexpected, many had left their laptops at work. In a couple of days, uh, my team had to scramble you know, to set up virtual desktops for them to access our network and be able to work. I, I clearly, vividly re remember thinking, this feels different. This is going to spread and we will need to be agile and flexible to respond. Not long after that, right, 
a couple of months later, we all went on lockdown and we transitioned 83% of our colleagues to work remotely, both to keep them safe and to continue to deliver the critical medicines to patients around the world, right, that we are respond that, that they're counting on. Sure. So when the reality of the pandemic became evident, Albert gave us a clear mandate that we were going to find a solution to the pandemic that year by October. In fact, I recall him saying, if not us, then who? And the other thing that Albert did is he assigned each of us on his leadership team COVID assignments in addition to our day jobs. Mine were to ensure colleagues could work from home, our data and IP were protected, and new ways of working. Looking back, uh, this was such an important decision as it gave us all clarity and the opportunity to contribute to the mission. As I tackled my assignments, I remember saying to myself, my goal is to stay a few steps ahead, anticipating what would be needed to ensure that we delivered the capabilities across the board. And I think, Albert, you know, was, we were so focused and so busy that you, you almost, it was not until much later that I really kind of reflected on everything that was going on at the same time, right? The other thing I remember is early on, I remember Albert and I having a conversation and we agreed to treat this unique time as a giant pilot to harness digital and experiment new ways of working. And we did just that. And as you said, we didn't know how long this was going to be. I'm sure most of us thought this will be a few months and obviously it turned out to be a lot longer. We tried new things. We scaled digital innovations faster than ever before. And to ensure we could bring the vaccine to the world in record time, we empowered our teams to be creative and think differently. This agile way of working that Albert had asked me to scale to the company in 2019 became a foundation for our Lightspeed principles for our COVID efforts. I am proud of our entire team across all of Pfizer, our scientists, our clinicians, our commercial people, our, I mean, really, it was really everybody across the board that we all partnered together across the entire organization to do the impossible. And we also proved to ourselves that we can move at the speed of science without compromising safety and quality. So, you know, when I think about the impact on me, I'm a transformation agent by nature, and I thrive on complex, you know, multifactorial efforts. And, you know, I felt like I was actually enjoying that part of my work. But then at the same time, on the personal level, you saw that everybody was impacted, right? Everybody, absolutely. you know, all of a sudden your kids are, you know, remote at home. You have relatives that have fallen to the virus or are sick. That part, um, I, I do recall, you know, that that part was tough. And, but it also helped me to kind of think about all of our people. And so I, I did also put a lot of extra effort to connect with my team and with our colleagues because I recognized that their whole reality had also changed. And so it, it was an interesting time. I would say thriving on the, on the innovation and on the transformation front, but it was also tough on the personal front, just seeing, you know, all of the, you know, this terrible disease, this virus and the impact. So I come out of it thinking, you know, it's imperative that we replicate 
the success of our Lightspeed work to benefit those battling other diseases as well. You know, one of the things as you were talking and I'm thinking about it because I've read and studied different leaders, different military leaders, business leaders, and they kind of all talk about this moment of crisis where you will find out, like, do you have leaders? Do people really believe in you? And clearly, you know, looking back, you had that empathy, you had that vision for moving forward. You had a huge, hairy, audacious goal to cure the virus or stop the virus. And you had a tremendous empathy for what you just described, people's lives being turned upside down, you know, work, everything's changed. What else do you think is that you, when you look back and reflect on that, like you, you, you think that whether you possess it yourself or you would encourage other leaders to develop, like what helps through crisis? Because that's the thing is like, when, when I'm looking to my, in a crisis, I got to believe something in my leader. I got to believe, right? Because the easiest thing to do is to say, I can't do it. That's, I think human nature is like, oh, a lot of people are like, I can't do it. Or I need, I need that hook, that hope I got to grab onto to develop that leadership in crisis. What do you, what characteristics do you think beyond empathy are necessary? I've been fortunate to have a variety of leadership experiences, both as an executive and as a board member and across different industries. I currently serve on the boards of Medtronic, which is a healthcare company, Tecna, which is a media company, as well as the US-Japan Business Council. These experiences and the many mentors I've worked with along the way have informed my leadership and prepared me for the past few years. To keep it simple, I'll distill it down to a few main points. You know, first and foremost, setting a bold, ambitious vision and, and inspiring the organization to come along the journey is a key characteristic. My passion is driving transformation and tackling you know, big, hairy, audacious goals, uh, as Jim Collins would describe them, right? Yep. That positively impact customers and yield tangible outcomes. Second, I always encourage others to think outside the box. Study what other industries are doing. It provides fresh ideas that may not be apparent in your own business. Third, making unexpected horizontal moves rather than always going for the next rung on the ladder can differentiate you from your peers because you'll gain a broad skill set and variety of experiences, not to mention expanding your network. Fourth, don't be afraid to take risks, especially early in your career. I believe we have to reframe failure as learning and experience something that helps us come out stronger and smarter. I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't taken chances and made mistakes. And not only did I learn a huge amount from those experiences, but they made me a more compassionate person and a stronger leader. As an executive, we can't be afraid to make the big decisions or place big bets. So I look at it as it's much better to have gotten a lot of practice along the way. And those are just a few nuggets that I believe are characteristics of leadership, um, both in a crisis, but even in normal times, in, in times of peace, as they say. And I think those are important. Yeah. And may I ask, the expanding yourself horizontally, I, I, have, I don't think I've heard that. Give us an example of what you mean by that, because you mentioned, hey, a lot of us are trying to climb vertically. Like We're always trying to get to the next step. Is What does it mean to, be, to, I guess, expand horizontally? Give us an example of that. Sure. So you can make a zigzag move, right? So for example, I believe, and throughout my career, 
I have swapped or swapped. I have gone, I've been in operations roles. So I've been the head of supply chain. And then I've been a CIO and now a chief digital and technology officer. And I think by making those zigzag moves, you gain experience, you understand better, um, you know, the needs of, of the business, the needs of your company. Gotcha. And so I very much believe that what personally, what has made me a stronger technology and chief digital officer is that I have actually uh, spent time in zigzag moves, understanding operations, understanding how we make products, gotcha. understanding how we serve customers. And that makes you a much stronger leader because you're more well-rounded. So in that case, right, instead of going for the next rung on the ladder, I took what would be called a zigzag move. And I learned a heck of a lot. So that's what I mean by that. Oh, gotcha. That makes total sense. Yeah. The, um, it, it reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of some companies you'll see that they're even to be a leader at an executive company that maybe let's say it has like a retail operation, they'll make their technology leaders like, you got to go work in the store. Why is that? It's like, cause you got to know how the store works and, and kind of like learning the all aspects of it. That makes complete sense. One of the things that I wanted to ask you is you work in an industry that is close to me. I went to Emory for public health, behavioral science, and I've always learned and we've always had technologists from the healthcare industry talk about how much needs to change. And I think we as patients, consumers, patients, whatever you want to call us, we've all experienced, let's say, less than optimal healthcare service or experiences. Like it's just, it, it has room to grow, right? And so the healthcare industry is notoriously slow at adopting new technologies. For yourself, what differentiates Pfizer and how you are staying ahead of the curve? Because, you know, you mentioned some of the service lines that you have, and it sounds like you're helping others also deliver healthcare service. Um, because I think about like, you know, Pfizer, you guys are making the medicines and stuff, but like at the end of the day, the hospital or the doctors who provides the service, how are you guys pushing ahead the curve and how are you pushing the industry forward? A key differentiator that sets us apart in the industry is that we're applying digital holistically across the entire value chain. And we're doing it quickly because of our agile right, ways of working and at scale, while others are taking more of a use case approach in isolated parts of their business. Our end-to-end -end platform approach is helping to drive this speed and scale. So for example, in R&D, we're creating an interconnected horizontal digital ecosystem to supercharge research, yes, but also product validation and to accelerate clinical trials. In manufacturing and supply, we're partnering with our manufacturing team to take a digital-first approach. I always challenge our teams to say, to think about how could we do something in a digital way that's not even possible in an analog world. And that digital-first approach and standard platforms has enabled us to scale and drive tangible outcomes. So for example, our manufacturing intelligence platform includes a new capability called mRNA yield prediction, which uses hmm. machine learning to enable sites to drill into patterns that are impacting yield, accelerate root cause analysis, and support continuous yield monitoring and improvement. The target improvement that they have achieved equates to 20,000 extra doses per batch. In commercial, right, we're transforming our go-to-market model, as, as I said earlier, and we're driving a more personalized experience. And those global platforms are allowing us to quickly scale across business units and over 160 countries 
for maximum impact. And that enables us to respond quickly to customer needs. And just to give you a sense, um, before we would bring new features every year. Now we bring new features every month. And that increases mm. our customer reach and, and results, right? Taking a digital first approach, standard platforms, being agile, and delivering tangible results has compelled Pfizer groups to adopt digital and raise their confidence and expectation of what digital data and technology can do for patients, for doctors, and for our business. And I can tell you, Albert, they want more. I mean, it's yeah. like we've set up, <laughs> we've raised the bar, so, and they know what's possible. So that co-creation, because I, I do think that you cannot throw a capability or innovation over the wall. You really should co-create that. So I always think of it as, for example, our science brings the art of the possible in science. We bring the art of the possible in digital. And when we co-create, we bring capabilities together that we wouldn't have been able to deliver individually uh, on our own. So those are that's what enables us to have improved not only uh, the adoption to me is a result. Yeah. I think what we've improved is the understanding. We've increased the digital fluency and we've increased the confidence in our audiences that by harnessing digital, they will actually have better outcomes and better experiences and better results. And that's how we've been able to, on the one hand, uh, drive adoption, but then also at the same time, really bring innovation and stay ahead of the curve. And, and that's how we're doing it. In fact, like I said, they want more and more and more. When you, as you were talking, I kept thinking about to my time at Emory when I was at the School of Public Health, and they talked about actually the number one reason why health outcomes aren't or health services providers aren't as fast as people want is simply kind of what you talked about this information sharing, this using common platforms. Digital allows common platforms for people to you know trade information, to learn secrets, to help push innovation, as you suggested, into a smaller time frame so that people can actually get the health outcomes faster. And so when I think of that, it sounds so simple and it's long been overdue. I think a lot of healthcare operations providers, they're all siloed up, you know, whether it's through restrictions, laws, it doesn't matter. It's just siloed up. And so hearing that companies like yourself are pushing through and trying to break through, break these barriers is fantastic. When you think about digital technology and its impact on healthcare, I'm curious, you know, even within Pfizer, outside of Pfizer, it doesn't matter. I'm curious to hear your predictions and what do you think is going to change? Like in the next five years, what do you think will change? What do you think will evolve? Give us a picture. Maybe it's optimistic, but paint, paint us a picture of what digital is going to do for healthcare in like the next five years. Transformation of healthcare and the industry will continue to accelerate exponentially, uh, particularly, I believe, at the intersection of healthcare and digital. So in the next five to 10 years, I expect that future generations of patients, consumers and customers will expect connected, personalized, real-time digital health experiences and directly from their mobile devices and the latest wearable technology. My point of view is that pharma, as well as other key players in the healthcare ecosystem, will need to work together to provide that experience. In scientific discovery, there will be a substantial number of AI-discovered molecules and indications entering clinical trials. A growing number of algorithms will be applied in R&D, and the growing application of quantum computing will drive speed and discovery 
and development that we cannot imagine today. Over on the clinical trial side, we will see accelerated use of digital technologies in clinical trials and optimization of trial protocol design using advanced predictive analytics. A substantial number of trials I anticipate will be run in a decentralized way mm. to maximize access and convenience for patients. I would even say we're going to start to see trials that we can run with a synthetic arm, not even needing patients in some cases. Wow. We have so much data, right? We have gathered so much that we should be able to have synthetic arms that are data-driven, right? Models, we can model that. In the commercial and medical space, digital medicines and digital health will become more of the norm, supplementing traditional treatment methods and applying therapies to create even greater value for patients, all of which improve the patient experience and drive patient adherence to treatments. But to take our industry to the next level, we will need to take a more nimble, entrepreneurial, agile approach to breakthrough innovations that are personalized to patients and we will need to bring them to market with greater speed. I do believe we have the momentum to drive greater innovations at greater speed, but also very importantly, at scale. And the pandemic really served as a catalyst to push us forward in these directions. You know, when, when you were, I started trying to like paint pictures of disease states and outcomes that you know are personal to me, where I was thinking to myself, like, man, when you were talking about wearables, I was like, imagine a future where, I mean, in, in, like you said, it's, we're probably not that far off where, hey, maybe I don't need to write down in an app what I'm eating. Maybe I could just take a picture of it and it just instantly calculates how many calories and nutrients I'm taking in. Maybe my wearable is measuring my blood pressure and telling me, hey, when you eat this, this is what's happening because I know um, what's going on. And I've always said this, maybe my maybe my toilet can take samples and <laughs> send signals to my doctor and be like, hey, you might have a problem. If we got to this point where we were much more proactive, as you suggested, and where we're treating uh, disease outcomes in states much sooner, earlier in detection. I mean, this is would have unbelievable outcomes for the future of humanity. Lydia, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries, sharing your leadership, sharing some of the projects that have been happening at Pfizer. Like I said before, a lot of us on the consumer side, we just see company like Pfizer, like, oh, they make medicine. You don't think about all the digital innovation that's happening behind the doors to make those medicines come to life. So I want to say thank you. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform. It's the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of experience. Lydia, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? I'm ready. All right, listen, let's start right there. What do you do for fun outside of work? I would have to say that this, that's actually pretty simple. My favorite thing to do is two things. I travel quite a bit for work. So my favorite things to do outside of work is going out to dinner and on walks with my husband and twin sons. This is where I can unwind, catch up with my family and talk about our day. <laughs> Just the simple things, right? A little walk, a little dinner, a little family time. That's magical. You, you, know, you travel the world a lot. So what are some of your favorite foods and dishes around the world? My favorite foods, let's see. Um, I would say French food is definitely uh, one of my favorite. And Indonesian food, especially the Indonesian rice table. I love Mexican food because I'm Mexican by origin, but I can always have that at home. <laughs> <laughs> Indonesian. Hey, listen, I'm going to Bali. Well, I've been to Jakarta before. 
um, going to Bali this year, but I'll have to pay more attention because I was I did I did a whirlwind trip, I think similar to you, where I didn't really get to enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to that. Where in the world have you visited? Would you most want to return to? Hmm, that's a good one because I I have been literally, but oh, I know where. Um, I was in Japan. Uh, I serve on the U.S. Japan Business Council, right? So I was in Tokyo in September earlier this year. One of my sons, he is he wants to go to Japan. So I'm really looking forward. I wasn't able to bring him with me in the September trip because of the COVID restrictions uh, for travelers at that point. But I am looking forward to bringing him with me when I go back to Japan next year. Listen, and I'm sure that you guys will have a lot of fun. Last question. It's going to be a fun one. You mentioned you have twin sons. You certainly, you're their mom. You can you can tell the part. Do other people think your twin sons look the same or do they, they, they look different? <laughs> they are fraternal. And my husband is from Holland and we have his and her kids. Oh, yeah. So one of my sons looks just like my husband. One of my sons looks just like mom. So it's actually pretty easy to tell them apart. The funny part is, though, that their personalities are switched. So the one that looks like me (laughs) is more like my husband and vice versa. (laughs) That's awesome. Lydia, it was awesome having you today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your love of the world. But most importantly, thanks for sharing how you guys are pushing digital using digital to transform the way Pfizer takes care of the world. It's been awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing the insight and thanks for you know opening the curtains a little bit and kind of discussing how you do it. And also thank you for all the stats and facts because that's awesome. We can take these use cases and think to ourselves, how could we apply your principles to get results like this? Happy to be here. Thank you so much for, you know, for, hosting, for hosting me today. I enjoyed it and uh, have a wonderful holiday season. Hopefully you're gearing up for a little bit of a break and relaxation before we have another, you know, smashing year next year, because I'm sure it'll be busy again. There you go. Yeah. I got three kids myself. So three young, young ones. So they still believe. So that's a problem for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. Right. When they still believe mine are 18. They absolutely do not. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Take care. 